What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about kids' games, but for, for small kids, for preschool-age kids, kids in that four, five, six-year-old range. And I'm talking to Elon Lee, the designer, the creator, the, the mastermind behind Exploding Kittens and all the games that they've come out with over the last few years. I mean, they've sold 25 million games at this point, which is just absolutely mind-boggling. And it was so fun talking to Elon about his design process, he's been working with his daughter, his four-year-old daughter, to bring some games to life and bring them to market. We chat about those games and the problems that they were trying to solve. Because so many kids' games on the market are trash. They're leftovers from years and years gone by, the Candyland-type games. And they're just not particularly fun for all sorts of different reasons. And so Elon and his daughter set out to change that. They wanted to make some games that parents would enjoy, that wouldn't just feel like these mind-numbing activities, but would actually be fun games. So we talk about that design process. We talk about manufacturing. We talk about marketing and all the business side of things as well. And so if you're interested in designing a game like this, or do you just want to design games you know, with your kids? If you have some small children, I think you'll learn a lot there as well. But this is a pretty big market also. So even if you're a designer that's like, no, I, I like to design these big, meaty, complicated, heavy games, that's cool. But there's a lot of money to be made designing games, creating games for this age group because it, it can sell a lot of copies. So just something to think about from a business side. And it's also fun. It's fun to bring laughter and joy and happiness to children. So, you know, also that. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Gems of Iridesia by Rock, Stone, and Dice Games. Will you find the lost Iridia Stone and unite the people of Iridesia? Play as one of four exciting clans ranging from robots to rhinos in this worker placement game. Press your luck by rolling dice to mine precious gems, and visit the town to craft items, purchase tools, and gain upgrades that will grant your adventurers exciting new abilities. Mine through the depths and search for the lost Iridia Stone in a quest to acquire the royalty points needed to earn victory and unite Iridesia. So grab your pickaxe and prepare to mine today by going to rockstoneanddice.com. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. And now, please help me welcome Elon Lee. So Elon, really excited to have you here. I mean, you... Your guy, it's just fun to talk to, man, because you, you came into this industry adjacent, right? You started off the kind of the video game world. Very much. Jumped over to board games thinking, hey, you know, I got an idea. I'll run a little project. It might have a little bit of success. What's the worst and then, that could happen? Yeah. <laughs> and then it uh, exploded, so to speak, with exploding kittens and turned into this just kind of multi-country you know, booming project yeah. of a thing. And now it's a brand and now you've got all these other games. You're signing other Game designers, you've got a, a pretty decent sized team. You're in stores all over the place. You know, every time we go into Walmart or Target, my kids, they see your games and they're, you know, we, we've got Throw Throw Burrito. We've got Exploding Kittens. We've got several other games that you've done. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations for all the Thanks. success. Yeah. That was so well planned out from the beginning. You were like, this is my five-year <laughs> so plan. well planned out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, every step of this has been a calculated path. Thank you for noticing that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, <laughs> but now you're switching gears a little bit. You're going to a different market in a lot of ways, kind of downstream, upstream. I don't know which part of the stream it's on, but you're going for younger kids, and not just younger kids, but like really young kids, like four, five, six-year-old kids with a new kind of an imprint, like a almost different company. We're going to talk about that in a minute where you have kitten games and you've got all these games you've designed with your daughter who was four or five years old as you guys were designing. And so I'm really excited to just chat about why in the world would you want to do this, first of all, and then how and how do you design with a child so young? I have a, let's see, my son just turned five and I have a two-year-old as well. So I, I know how that brain works. And yeah, it you're is gonna you're gonna chaos. relate to the misery that I'm about to describe <laughs> uh, in trying to design games with a four year old. So yeah, I'm excited well, to talk. 
Looking forward to it. This is like the epitome of chew the meat, spit out the bones of like trying to figure out what are you really saying? Like my son, he'll like the other day, I'll give you a quick anecdote, just how chaotic it is with these kids. The other day I'm, I'm, so I work from home. I'm in my office. I'm working on something. My son comes in and he's got a bag, like a Ziploc bag of coins. And he says, Hey, Hey daddy, um, I need $5 in coins. I was like, what? He's like, I, I need you to count out five. I need $5. I was like, why? He goes, I'm, I need to buy a toy. I was like, when, what? Who said you're going to buy a toy? And he's looking, he goes, I don't know. I said, when, when are you going to buy this toy? And he goes, tomorrow. <laughs> like, what, do, what? I have no idea what little seed like was planted in his brain that told him I need to go carry out these steps. And, and so anyway, I can't imagine designing a game and I'm excited to learn about how you did it and all the yeah, I'm, I'm excited to tell you, but now I got to match stories with you because um, kids are little aliens and it is really, really tough to interpret them sometimes. I was sitting in my office yesterday and my five-year-old, my now five-year-old comes downstairs, Avalon, and she's holding a bag of white marbles. And I said, what are those? And she said, they're for you. And I said, I don't need any white marbles. And she said, they're not white marbles, they're acorns. And I painted them white. And then she drops the bag on the floor. They explode everywhere. She screams, you're welcome and runs away. <laughs> you're welcome and runs away is yeah. like the epitome of these, these kids. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're answering questions you didn't know you had. They're solving problems you didn't know you, you had. And now I got a bag of white acorns in case I need those someday. Hey, that's a new game component, man. Now that's a new <laughs> opportunity is all that is. And that, maybe maybe that's what my son was saying. He's like, Dad, I want to design a game where we count out coins and we need we need the five. Eventually, he wanted a monster truck toy oh, yeah. from, from Walmart yeah. tomorrow. He doesn't know what tomorrow means. <laughs> like there's no concept of time or days. So, oh man, you're really, you're hitting a chord with me. Yeah. Uh. Solidarity, man. But let's get into why in the world you would want to design these kinds of games you, with so many options, right? So many different things. You could have done Exploding Kittens, the Euro game. I mean, you could have done anything, right? But you chose to do these kind of preschool age games. Why is that? Yeah. There's definitely a masochistic twist to, to my brain here. Um, what I learned is this is really, really hard. I'm so glad I did it before I knew any better because if I tried it again today, I probably wouldn't do it. But at the time, a year ago, my, or 18 months ago, my, my naive self thought this was a great idea. Here, here was the thought. When my daughter turned four, for me, that was a big milestone because before that, the games she plays are really basic. You know, it's hide and seek. It's, uh, you know, we play airplane to feed her, you know, that silly, stupid non games. But when she turned four, I thought, okay, so you're not a three-year-old anymore. You're finally old enough. Let's go to the store. We're going to buy actual games, boxed games. We're going to take them home. We're going to sit them, sit them down, open them up, play together. This is going to be great. And, um, we did that. We went to the store. We bought like five or six games, came home, played them one after another, after another. And they were awful. Like just the worst, most boring crap I've ever played. If if I have to play, I'm just going to say the actual names. If I have to play Candyland again, I am going to kill myself. Uh, these games, you might as well not be there, right? Spin a spinner, move your piece, and then the other player does the same thing. Spin a spinner, move your piece. Why are you playing? There's no point. A computer might as well do that. There's no reason for you to be in the room. You're not making decisions, you're not making choices. You're not learning anything. You're not competing. You're not collaborating. You're doing nothing. And every game was like that. And I got so frustrated and um, was having a miserable time. And we'd get to the end of the game. And of course, my you know bright-eyed, wide-eyed daughter wants to play again at the end of the game. And she looks at me and she says, Daddy, can we play again? And I'm like, uh, let's let's move on to the next one instead. And we try the next one and we get to the end. Daddy, can we play again? I'm like, oh, no, let's go to the next one. And we got through the whole list that way. And we finally got to the last game. And I said, look, I, I just don't want to play again. I'm really sorry. These are terrible. And she said, um, she said, what's wrong? You know, we're having so much fun. What's wrong? And I tried to explain to her the problem I was having with these games. But of course, she's not interested in, in why I'm having a bad time. She's interested, like I've trained her and taught her her whole life, to fix it. So when I finished explaining why these games were bad, she said, cool, let's fix it. And that's really when my eyes got wide and I thought, oh, let's fix it. This will actually be really fun, let's fix it. And so for 18 months, 
we sat there scribbling with markers and dice and construction paper and little game pieces. And we designed together 12 games. And um, it was, it took a long time. It was a huge learning curve. Um, she learned from me. I learned a lot from her. Um, and at the end of that, um, those 12 games were, you know, not great, but four of them were kind of incredible because they did everything I wanted a game to do. She was having a blast. She got to see some of her own artwork in the game. Like it was really beautiful to build something, try it out, watch it fail, try it again, watch it fail, try it again, and, and keep iterating, making it better and better and better. And at the end of that process, we had these four games and all of them passed one very important test, which was when we were finished playing those games, she would look at me and say, daddy, can we play again? And my answer was, hell yes, let's play again. I can't wait to play again. These are awesome games. So we really set out just to fix the problem. But along the way, um, I realized that this was kind of maybe how the founders of Pixar felt when they started making movies. I will bet there was at least a moment sort of like this where they looked at the movie industry for kids and said, this sucks. Like kids are having fun, but the parents who have to take their kids to those movie theaters are not having any fun. So what if we change that? What if we make movies that are fun for kids and adults? And they then went on to proceed and, you know, change the entire film industry forever. I felt like maybe there's an opportunity to do the same thing. I'm having fun with these games. My daughter's having fun with these games. We made them together. For the first time, I'm looking forward to playing a boxed game with my daughter. I will bet other adults, other parents, other grownups are going to have just as much fun. So why don't we take this show on the road? Why don't we take this to retail? Uh, we took it to Target. We pitched those four games, showed them why they were so much fun. And Target said, not only do we want these four games, we're going to give you your own shelf. You're going to control an entire shelf in the kids section to try to change the world. And uh, that was just a few months ago. And now they're out selling. It's incredible. Man, that's awesome. All right. So a lot to unpack there. I want to go back to the problem, right? Where you're looking around. I think this is where a lot of creative people, a lot of inventors come from. They look around and they, they can't find the thing that they want. And so they just go, well, I guess I'll make it myself. And it's probably good that they don't know what all is going to take and the sacrifices <laughs> necessary and all that, because they probably wouldn't start from the beginning. But then you you set out to do that. But let's get into maybe some of the deeper issues. I heard you say these games aren't really games they are like activities. There's no choice. There's no collaboration. You know, they're not fun for adults. So they, those are obviously some of the kind of bigger problems. Can we go a little bit deeper, though? Where maybe some of the other issues or some of the deeper issues you've noticed in these games that then we can kind of unpack as we as as we then start talking about your answers in just a minute. So, I really think that all good games, um, and specifically kids game. Here's my criteria for a good kids game. Um, one, the game should be a tool set for the people playing to entertain each other. Um, this is our mantra at Exploding Kittens as well, right? We do not make entertaining games. We make games that make the players entertaining. And that's really important. And for kids' games, doubly so. If I'm going to sit down with my daughter, with any of my kids, with her friends, that game must be a tool set to make us enjoy each other. Otherwise, we might as well be staring at a screen. Like, I don't want to be passive. I want to be active. And I want the game to help us entertain each other. The games, we're not doing that at all. Um, the second set of criteria for me is the game must teach the kid something. Mm -hmm. And um, those games certainly weren't doing that. Learning how to spin a spinner and move a piece around, there is no sense of mastery there at all. You're not going to get better at that task. And if you do, who cares? So I really, it was really important to me that every one of the games had something that my kid could walk away from and get better and better and better at that thing uh, until we get to the third point, which is I don't want to cheat to lose. I should not have to let my kid win. I don't want to make bad moves, unstrategic moves, non-optimal moves, just so that my kid can win. My kid, maybe not at first, but certainly by game three or four, should be able to get good enough at this game that she's just going to beat me because she is a better player than I am. And that is hard. That's really hard to do and certainly hard 
if not impossible, to find on the existing games market, at least at the time before our games came out. Um, and then, and then finally, um, for me, the perfect kids game that none of these could do very well is when I'm not around, my kid should be able to teach her friends how to play that game without any problem at all. And that really speaks to the simplicity, but the hidden complexity, the, the, the complexity can't be right there on the surface. Otherwise she's not going to be able to pass it on to her friends. Um, or she's not going to be able to tell her grandparents how to play. She's not gonna be able to pull the thing down off the shelves when visitors come over and say, let's play a game. I'm going to teach you how, because that's the most empowering thing in the world for her, for any kid, uh, is to relay that mastery, that, um, that knowledge onto somebody else and speak from a sense of authority, right? For, for, from a kid's perspective, they so rarely get to do that. Everything's always being taught to them and told to them. But if you can switch those tables around and make it so that the kid gets to say, I'm the expert, I'm the master, and now I'm going to share it with you. You're going to have as much fun as I'm having. It's so empowering and it's such a beautiful moment and none of the games were doing that. So for me, as long as we could hit each and every one of those milestones, each and every one of those criteria, um, that's when I knew we had four completed games. Yeah, very cool. So I love that last point, especially because you're building confidence, you're empowering a child, this is it's another one of the skills, honestly, that your this game is helping to bring about with this child. But what are some of those other things? Because you're talking about a game that teaches something, but we're not talking about educational games, quote unquote. It's not like you're going to learn how to do two plus two is four necessarily. So what are some of these skills that you wanted to really lean into and, and bring out in your kid in the games you did or in, in games you want to see down the road? But what are some of these like higher level skills? So, uh, uh, one example is we have one of our games is called the best worst ice cream. And all that the kids are doing is they're trying to fill up their ice cream cones with uh, one sco uh, uh, 10 scoops of ice cream before anybody else can. First one to get 10 scoops of ice cream wins. There's a deck of cards in the middle of the table. Each one is a scoop of ice cream. Each card you have to earn. And the way you earn it is before you draw a card, you get to look at the back of the card. The back of the card has three flavors on it. You know the front of the card is one of those three flavors. There's a whole bunch of cards spread out around the table for reasons that I won't get into, but the kid is trying to say, all right, this one is either red, green, or blue, but before I turn it over, I'm going to guess, is it red, green, or blue? And I don't mean red, green, or blue. I mean, is it hot dog flavored or stinky cheese flavored or blue, you know, blueberry flavored ice cream? Okay, I made my guess. I'm going to turn it over. If I was right, I get to collect all the cards of that flavor and load up my ice cream cone. If I was wrong, it stays in the middle of the table and somebody else might gain it on their next turn. When a kid starts playing a game like that, all they're doing is they're guessing one out of three. It's literally a guessing game. Fine, we can start that way. I'm just, you're just gonna learn the mechanics that way. You're gonna learn it's one of these three things. Guess which one, you are either right, you got a one in three chance, you're right, you're wrong, off we go. But halfway through the first game, what kids start to realize is this is not an even betting system. It's not red or green or blue. If I look at the table for a second, if I guess red, there's already six red cards out there. Meaning if this one's red, I'm gonna get seven scoops of ice cream because I'm gonna collect all the red ones. Whereas if I guess blue, there's no blue out there. And even if I'm right, I'm only gonna gain this one scoop of ice cream. So all things considered, I can guess red, green, or blue. I'm gonna go for red because the, the risk reward is much, much higher on red than it is for green or for blue. I'm not telling a kid any of this ever. I would never imagine telling a kid ever any of this, but you start to see the gears turning. You start to see them learn, wait a second, these aren't even. They look even, but they're actually not even. I'm gonna do this instead of that. And it's not like they're computing math. It's not like they've got a pencil and paper out. It's all very visual. They're looking at the table. They see an ocean of red, no blue, no green, which you're gonna guess, oh, I'm gonna guess red for this turn. And it's so cool to see these little statisticians start to develop uh, over this very simple, silly, fun ice cream game. Uh, and I'm not teaching them that. They're just figuring that out as the game goes along. And by game three, they are, you know, my daughter at least, is absolutely destroying me at this game because she has figured out the odds. I never taught her, but she knows exactly the right guess on a per card basis. Yeah, very cool. And really thinking through how can you teach problem solving, which I feel like is maybe the most important thing we can teach kids, especially nowadays. Like they're coming into a world where you don't need to know 
a lot of the stuff that we were taught in school because it was fun facts and you have a, a supercomputer in your pocket. And if you need a, the answer to a fun fact, there it is. Right. And so problem solving, right. How to look at, in this case, a table and figure out what is the best answer to this question based on what's in front of me. And it's ice cream. So it, it makes sense, but it's silly ice cream. That's <laughs> silly thing. Ice cream. It seems to, to be the, the, I don't know, the joining factor of a lot of your games, they're ridiculous. The they're ridiculous. Is absolutely ridiculous. That, that's exactly we, it. Because you're never going to get a kid to get excited about statistics if you're talking about numbers. You're not even going to get them excited about it if you're talking about colors. But if you're talking about, do you think this is hot dog flavored ice cream or stinky cheese flavored ice cream? What's your best guess? Suddenly they have an opinion and they care a whole lot about that. Yeah. And I love that it's emergent. Again, like you're saying, you didn't have to sit down and have a flow chart and a Venn diagram and say, here's how this game works. It emerges naturally through the gameplay, which is really, really cool. And that's something I love just in games in general, right? The emergent storytelling, the emergent gameplay that it, it's not in the rule book. You just kind of figure it out. It's one of my favorite things about games. And to try to finally unlock that in games made for kids, made for ages four and up, that was really tough to do. But oh my goodness, so rewarding to finally hit it. Yeah. So before we get into like, or actually we might even do that a little bit as far as your more specifics about each individual game, because I want to talk about each individual one and the problems you were seeing and then the answers you were coming up with or your daughter was coming up with. But let's talk about that. Designing with a four-year-old. Okay. It's like herding cats. It's like, like you were saying, trying to decipher some ancient language that has been lost to time. So tell me about that process and how you were able to, to glean information and ideas from this enigma of a brain and turn it into something actionable that you can make into a, a game. Yeah. I think the, the first and most important lesson for me on this, this long and windy journey was I only have 15 minutes at a time. Mm. If I try to design a game for an hour with my daughter, the last 45 minutes of that are going to be useless because she's off in silly mode by then, right? She's intentionally just making fart noises and throwing cards around or hiding cards so I can't find them anymore. Like, But the first 15 minutes are really productive. And as long as I can focus on those 15 minutes, what she likes, what she doesn't like, what ideas she has, what I can learn from her, uh, what's frustrating her, what she needs to see to, to be happy at that moment, uh, the things she invents, those all happen in those 15 minutes. And those are really, really important to focus on. So that was the first lesson is like, these, these aren't adults. Don't schedule an hour, schedule 15 minutes. That's all you're going to get. And you can do like maybe two, maybe three of those a day, but not the, the duration is really the issue there. The second thing. So learning from my daughter, I'll give you a great example. So we have a game out there called uh, I Want My Teeth Back. And designing this game with her was um, for me, probably the most interesting game. Um, there are two versions of the game. One that's out there right now, which is great. I love it. It's tested so well. But there's another version that we actually changed after the first one went out the door for a very particular reason. And for me, it was learning. I wasn't listening to, listening to her closely enough until after the game shipped. So uh, I'll give you the example. I Want My Teeth Back has um, a spinner in it. And it's kind of like a Wheel of Fortune-like spinner. The kids get to spin the spinner. It lands in a certain place. And um, in version one, it was either jackpot or no jackpot. So the jackpot areas on the wheel were very small. Everything else was just blank. And you had to buy the right to spin the spinner. So the whole game is collect cards. When you think you have enough cards, when you think the jackpot is big enough, use your cards to spin the spinner. And maybe when the jackpot first one to get 10 of these teeth uh, wins the game. It was really fun, but she kept complaining about something in this game that I kept ignoring. She kept saying, I want to win more. And I kept saying, but don't worry, you know, that's, that's actually this game. This, this game is all about odds, right? You're computing. When do you spin the spinner? What, you're, not all, you're usually going to fail at the spinner. So the more spins, the better. When are you going to spin the spinner? And she kept saying like, but I want to win more. And the game went out just like that. And it's really fun. It's actually one of our top sellers. It's a really fun game. But I, that, that, that noise kept echoing in my head. Like, what do you mean you want to win more? What do you? And suddenly I realized like the idea that the spinner has any spaces at all on it that aren't win is a problem for a kid. 
Because for me as an adult, I can understand the difference between a win and a loss, and I'm going to actually compute those odds. But for her, more valuable is win a little versus win a lot, but no such thing as win zero. And so we change the game so that every space on the spinner is a win, but there's very small spaces that are huge winners. And now, instead of using your cards to spin the spinner, you use your cards to upgrade the spinner, to take a new overlay, put it on top of the spinner, and now the giant win conditions are even bigger. Spend more cards, and you can put another overlay on top of that, and now they're gigantic. It's actually 50-50 uh, massive jackpot. And uh, that little change, making it so that I listen to her when she says, I want to win more, because what she's actually saying is losing is no fun. As long as losing is part of this game, I'm actually not interested in it. That doesn't mean you have to break the game. That doesn't mean the game is a non-starter. What it means is I had to train myself to really listen to her and learn from her that I can get everything I need out of this game from the game mechanics if I change it from win versus loss to big win versus small win. And as soon as I made that change, oh my God, that game is absolutely, of all the games, absolutely our favorite one of the bunch now. Um, but it took that little tweak in order to get there. Yeah. So often it's all about how you frame the mechanism, right? And how you make people feel based on the framing. And you don't even necessarily have to change the mechanism, which is like you're saying, you didn't change the mechanism. You just kind of like put a different overlay. You like, you just kind of changed how it felt. Yeah, I was talking to Jeff Engelstein recently, and he has a racing game where the original design was things that you know, could happen during the game, and it would cause your, your car on the board to go back spaces. And people hated it. They're like, oh, it just feels so bad. And so he flipped it, and he reframed it. And when those exact same moments happen, instead of your car going back spaces, every other car on the board goes forward spaces. So smart. It's the same. Same. Nothing thing. has changed mechanically, yeah. but the feeling yeah. is totally different. So and smart. so just, yeah, just having into that, especially with kids, because kids are really good at telling you their emotion, right? They're, they'll, they can't explain why they have no idea what's going on. They can't articulate, you know, I'm angry because, but they can now articulate angry <laughs> really well. And listening to that, what are some other things you noticed as far as your daughter's emotions? And you could kind of maybe watch her or listen to her during play that you could kind of pick up on and then turn that into design. Yeah, we had um, one of the games that didn't make the cut, which also really required me to pay close attention to her emotions was um, it was a last player standing game. And um, it kind of functioned, it was sort of like Exploding Kittens Jr. So Exploding Kittens is also a last player standing game. Uh, last player in the game wins the game. And we, we, we worked on a very, very simple version of that for kids. And that game frustrated her like nothing else. And I was like, what, what is it about? Like, tell me what, and she's like, I just, I just hate it when somebody else wins this game. And I said, that doesn't make sense to me. In all the games... That we've made. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And she said, no, but in this one, somebody else wins. And I said, that doesn't make sense. That's, that is true for literally every game we're working on. And after a lot of discussion and me trying very hard to train myself, like I need to pay attention. She's not going to be able to articulate the source. So I'm going to have to do that work. Let me figure out the work. What I realized is there's a difference between a, someone winning the game versus somebody winning the game and everyone else losing. And that difference means for kids, you can never have a last player standing game. You can have a winner. Someone can suddenly win, but everyone else has to think I am not a loser because if they think I am a loser, that's when they get frustrated. And for kids, that is a really visceral response. Like um, they can't tell you why, they can't tell you the difference, me as the grown-up designer had to figure out the difference, but it was so eye-opening. Like that was one of the ones I wrote into our like our mantra for all games. Like there can be a winner, but there can never be losers. That's really interesting. How would you approach it from like a like a Jenga style game where you kind of have one loser and then everybody else at the table wins? How do you think that would would work? Yeah, I think what you would have to do to make that like truly like a a four and up game. Uh, I think what you would have to do is say, when that tower collapses, nobody loses 
but maybe the last person before you who successfully removed a piece wins, right? And it's just that it's the same game, same events happened. It's just a slight reframing to say, you didn't lose, nobody lost, but little Timmy won. Let's all celebrate, let's clap for him, let's reset, let's play again, because probably next time somebody else is gonna win, but nobody lost. And that's such an important difference for four-year-olds. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder also if you could re just reframe it, not in winning or losing, but just in an action, right? So for instance, whoever knocked down the tower, they have to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Right? Oh, so great. there's a great, there's a consequence, right? But it's not because you lost. It's just because you knocked over the tower, you know, and if you make a mess, you clean it up. That's just, you know, again, skill building that we're talking about, but it, you know, not even framing a game winning or losing. We're just playing. We're just having fun here. This leads into one of our other games um, called my parents might be Martians. And, um, this one had a very complicated history with us um, as we tried to figure out what it means to win, what it means to lose. Um, so this game actually started out as um, an Exploding Kittens game. Uh, it, it's a, we have a game out there called Poetry for Neanderthals. Simplest game, team-based game, two teams. When it's your turn, you draw a card, you're trying to get the other people on your team to guess the word on the card. The only rule is you can only speak using single syllable words. So immediately you sound like a caveman. You have no choice. Your grandma sounds like a caveman. No, no say in the matter. It's funny. It's ridiculous. And I thought, okay, well, let's play this with kids. Like, what if uh, we don't change anything? I'm going to sit down with my daughter. We're going to play this game. And it was horrible. Like she couldn't figure out what a syllable was. She couldn't figure out when she violated the rules. She couldn't figure out when she was following the rules. That, um, that notion of speech was just a little bit beyond her grasp. And so at first it was like, well, this just isn't going to work. Uh, we're not going to play this game. And then um, my daughter said, you know, what if I don't have to speak? Like, what don't I? Why, what if I don't have to guess, uh, see any of the clues? What if you just do the clues, Daddy? Because you're really good at that, and I'll just be the guesser. I'll be the guesser for the whole game because that's really fun. And then I started thinking about that, like, oh, wait a second. There's something really, really powerful here. So uh, I got my wife, and we sat down, and we said, okay new game. There are three teams. There's your mommy. She's one team. There's me. I'm another team. And Avalon, the kids, we actually had two of her friends over at the time. All the kids are on one team. The kids are the human team. The adults are the alien team, but there's two different alien teams and we're all competing. Here's what we're going to do. One by one, the aliens, the adults are going to draw a card and try to get the kids to uh, guess these words. And then when mommy alien is done, then daddy alien is going to get to go. And I'm going to try to get through as many cards as I can. And then it's mommy and then it's daddy and the aliens are going to go back and forth. But the kids, they're guessing. They're nonstop. Spotlight is always on them. Guess, 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 guess. And we'll see who wins. Well, guess what? You know who wins? The kids always win because they're earning double the points. They're earning for both mommy and daddy. They only earn points. This game is actually a game between the two grownups or the three grownups or however many grownups you have. And what they're doing is they're hacking the kids. They're trying as hard as they can to say, you know, the word is broccoli. The best way for me to hack my kid into saying the word broccoli using only single syllable words is I'll say like, this thing you ate for meal last night. It green, it green, you eat, you not like, you eat, right? And she's, oh, last night, dinner, broccoli, broccoli, right? And she says broccoli. But so my wife looks at me, right? And then she's like, well, I'm going to have to do better than that. And so when she looks at her, her card, now she's trying to hack the kids in a completely different way. The parents are competing for second place. We're actually competing to win the game. We're playing our own completely separate, non-symmetrical game. It's an asynchronous game with the kids, right? The kids are playing their own game. They're always going to win. The adults are competing in this other thing. Uh, we don't mind if one of us loses because we know we're playing this other game. The kids want to win. They're always going to win. They're earning the double points. Um, it was this really, really beautiful moment when we realized we could put two different games in this box and the kids are never going to realize it's two different games. They're just going to think, oh, we're really good at this. We always win. Yeah, I think that's something that a designer can really tap into in the notion of, do you, do you need just different rules for adults? versus kids. Like, is that one way that an, an adult can play as hard as they can, like play to win, but the game still be fair because they're on you know, different rule sets. It's almost like root or, you know, it's like some of these really you know, asymmetrical games, but then you have one game or one player, one team, one faction. that's just so simple that a child can play it, but at the same time, they still have, you know, an equal chance to win. It's something I've been thinking about lately. I've got a game coming out soon called card clash 
And it's a very simple 1v1. You know, I've got my hero and playing cards. Very simple game. But there's a, a rating system of one star up to five. And I like the five star characters. I like the complicated, <laughs> the combos, the crazy stuff that's going on. But my, you know, 10 year old, 12 year old, 14 year old, they can play the one to two, three star characters, have a great time, right? It's simpler, you know, but there's an even playing field and they can beat me and I can beat them. And we all, we don't need, nobody feels like they have to just like, yeah, whatever. I'll let them win. Love it. And so love it. Something to think about. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I've, I, the, the, the sophisticated, the hidden sophistication in game design is what just makes me so happy. And um, this was the first time I'd gotten to apply it to a kid's game. So that made me doubly happy because I didn't even think that was possible. Any any other thoughts on ways to do this or maybe some of the other games that you've been working on that have this idea where you've got these kind of two different rule sets, two different things? I'll tell you about one that we haven't actually released yet. You're the, you're the first person I will tell about this because um, nice. uh, I'm very excited about it. We, we, we wanted to build a game. Uh, my daughter, like all kids, is obsessed with candy. And um, we wanted to build a game that involved candy. So there's no food in the box. We're not going to go down that crazy route. But there is a really clever mechanism by which uh, you are trying to get the most candy. Whoever can get the most candy uh, wins the game and gets to eat the candy, which is a nice thing for kids. Um, what I realized uh, in designing this game is uh, it, we can tweak this in a really clever way. Um, I worked with um, a very good friend of mine, a designer at our company named Ken Gruel, who uh, he, the more we test it, he's got kids as well, right? And so the more we keep testing this with our kids and collecting feedback, we realize that we can start tweaking the candy. It doesn't have to be gummy bears anymore, right? It can now be almonds and they're just as excited. We're starting to experiment with like carrot sticks and they're just as excited. And we can kind of tweak the, um, the props in the game, the rewards in the game, because they're so hooked on the actual gameplay and doing better and achieving mastery. And there's a very clever physical aspect to this game where they have to, it's a, it's a reflex game, right? How quickly can you press this thing? Can you press it faster than anybody else? And, that, and that's the way you steal snacks. Uh, if you can get better at that than anybody else, you'll earn faster than anybody else and you'll win the game. Our kids are now so obsessed with this game that they no longer care that it's candy. They will now play for anything at all, including carrot sticks and broccoli, uh, just so that they can win this game, get better at it, and look forward to playing again. Man, that's a heck of a hook. When yeah. you talk about marketing to parents, <laughs> this game gets your kid to eat vegetables? Like what? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, we're still working on the name. I think we're going to call it Snack Face, which I'm, uh, so the, the spinner, thing, the little mechanical thing in it is going to be this rotating face that I'm very excited about. Nice. Along, along the same lines, I was, I was working on a game years ago that my thought was I want to play like a dungeon crawl game with my kids, right? And so candy makes sense. And so it was called Candy Crawl. And all the enemies were like, you know, these evil gummy bears. Like there's all this kind of like candy related things. But then your health, you would play it with red M&Ms. And whenever you took damage, you would eat the M&M, right? <laughs> so damage was delicious. So you didn't get as upset. You know, that's the thing. Like you it. didn't lose because you got to eat, you know, your that's character. Beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. Right? And so coming up with those little things again to make kids or just anybody not feel as bad for losing or, or you know getting damaged or, or whatever but also just finding ways to intersect okay what do kids enjoy like we already talked about kids are ridiculous so these games are ridiculous they have ridiculous names and ridiculous themes and they're kind of out there and crazy and and speaking of which let's, let's talk about the other one on the list hurry up chicken butt so again a funny title Got funny art, funny mechanics, things like, but tell me about that game and kind of where or how it came to, to be. All right. So how do you, all right, here's how you play hurry up chicken butt. Um, this one, uh, was, uh, so I designed this, it was me, my daughter and, um, Brian Spence, who also designed uh, throw throw burrito. And, um, the challenge here was, can we come up with a game that, uh, is essentially hot potato? Like how do we make hot potato more interesting? And, um, after so many iterations, what we finally came up with was, all right, there's this cute little chicken that's uh, translucent plastic and inside is a dye and the dye, uh, there's no words. It just has six different colors and we're going to deal out some cards in the middle of the table uh, and each card has a different color. The chicken clucks, 
clucks faster and faster and faster and faster until eventually it screams. You don't want to be holding the chicken when it screams because then uh, the player right before you wins the game. So uh, don't have the chicken when it screams. In other words, pass the chicken as fast as you can. The only rules for passing the chicken are while it's clucking in your hand, shake it, and now uh, the die is going to land on a color. Look at the cards in the middle. You have to do the activity with that color on it. Five jumping jacks, run around the circle twice, uh, run away and touch a spoon and come back. What, whatever the ridiculous, silly, funny challenge is, you have to do it as fast as you can. And when you've completed it, you pass the chicken to the next player. This continues until uh, the chicken screams, whoever's holding it, uh, the player right before them wins the game. That's it. Really, really simple. What we've figured out about this game in such a delightful way is, um, th this, by the way, is uh, right now, Oh, it's our absolute number one selling kids game. It is the number one selling kids game uh, in Canada. It is the number one new kids game at Target. Like it is uh, out of this world. I mean, it is just doing so, so well. And I think there's really three important reasons. One is it's a great game and people are talking about it. Two, it has a really silly name that feels a little bit forbidden to kids. Am I allowed to say, but it's hurry up chicken, right. but it's right there. So I guess I'm allowed to say it right. Like that, that feel is really nice for kids. And then three is, um, it, it has a, a window on the front of the box so that you can see the chicken and you can see, yes, it's a game, but there's a toy in here as well. And it's physical and it's adorable and it's going to be so much fun. And when you flip over the box, we can explain to you how to play in five seconds and that's it. And uh, that kind of combination of things um, on top of being my daughter's now second favorite game. She still likes I Want My Teeth Back as her favorite. Uh, but on top of it being just a really, really good game, those things have come together in this really beautiful way that is making this game just fly off of shelves. And as you're describing it, it also sounds very TikTokable so to speak, where it's easy to do a very quick video online of, of people, of influencers doing ridiculous things, and it's funny, and it's cute, and it's charming. And also, also by the way, you can go buy it here, right? Like, most board games don't lend themselves to that. Most board games are kind of gray or, or beige. You know, they're on a table. There's all this stuff going on. The players look like they're in pain as they play because their brains are contorting and gym, you know, doing mental gymnastics. And it, it's not twitchable. It's not TikTokable. It's just not interesting from a visual you know video standpoint versus what you just described which like leans right into that yeah it's just joy in a box it's just so so lovely and um yeah we we've just found you know i say that one of our mantras here one of our rules for kids games is you should not cheat to lose right you can't let your kid win and at first i was really worried about that i was like well i could probably do five jumping jacks faster than my kid i could probably run around the circle faster than my kid no i can't Holy crap. <laughs> Can I not do that? They are so much faster. They are so much better. A lot of it is just because they can get up and sit down faster than my creaky knees can. But like jumping jacks, a kid will kick your ass at that activity. You go try it. It is nuts how good they are. That's a good thing to, to think about is like, what are kids naturally better than adults at? And then how do you lean into that and make kids games based on that? Like give them the advantage, right? You know, don't get them to do algebra. Yeah. <laughs> Make them stand up and sit down real fast. Like that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm proud to say I have never won that game ever. Not even <laughs> what won. I like about it is I can also get my steps in. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> like one, so I try to, I try to exercise pretty much every day, but I've, I've been coaching my oldest two daughters, uh, soccer. They're doing rec league soccer and I'm coaching. And I found that I can, I can get like 20,000 steps in a day because during practice I am running and moving and, and do, I do all the stuff there with them. Like when they do sprints at the end of practice, I'm, I'm out there running too, you know, which helps me like get some exercise in. And so I think that's another thing to think about is like, how can you help parents feel good about the, the way, as opposed to what we're talking about at the beginning, where I feel like I'm wasting my time. Like this experience is draining to me. I do not want to do it again versus an experience where it's like, oh, okay, you know, I'm getting a little exercise. I'm getting moving around. You know, grandparents, you know, would love to kind of do this and they can get some moving. Absolutely right. Some, some Absolutely right. Yeah. It's so when great. It come, when it comes to incentives, both, we've talked a lot about incentives in the actual game space, but when it comes to incentives with the in the design space, were there things that you found worked really well? You said 15 minute chunks, which makes a lot of sense. Anything that like was the design itself 
you know, hanging out with dad, was that incentive enough or was there ice cream involved or was there staying up late on a Tuesday involved? Like any design incentives? The design incentives that I, that I worked really hard with my daughter on were let's make something fun for your friends. And the harder we work on, we're not going to sit here and evaluate this stuff. Tomorrow, we're going to play this game. Whatever version we're done with, we're going to go play with your friends. And they're either going to have fun or they're not. And tomorrow, when we sit down for our 15 minutes, we're going to deal with that feedback. And that made it really, really interesting for her. Like, she loves her friends. She cares what they think. She she wants them to have a great time. And so she worked really hard for those 15 minutes to focus and say, how am I going to make them have a better time? And when I would say like, okay, at this point in the game, we can either try this thing, we could try A or we can try B. She would actually look at it and care and, and say, what about C instead? What if we what if we take a little bit of this and a little bit of that? And it's because she's thinking, when I put this in front of my friends, what are they going to think? And that was a really useful tool. Um, at first, I tried to make it all about her, all about our relationship. What I found is at her age, what she really cares about is the relationship between her and her friends. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Also, one of the main places that happiness for anybody comes from is from what you do for other people, right? That's, that's where joy comes from. You know, the more you serve and love and help other folks have a, in this case, a good time, have a fun experience at a table, right? That's where some really cool happiness comes from. And for her to be able to identify that, Right. Which is kind of a long term thing. You know, that's tomorrow. And again, my son, uh, tomorrow could be 12 years from now. He doesn't know. Right. Right? Tomorrow is just like <laughs> amorphous blob out in the yeah. ether, you know. Yeah. But to identify a long term, uh, the what's it called when you have to del- delay gratification. Right. So there's another skill that we're talking about that is so vital for young people and, and children to learn. So we're talking about delayed gratification because tomorrow or you know, sometime later this week, we're going to take this game to your friends and we're going to have, have fun with them versus here's a bowl of ice cream right now. Right. That's an interesting it's thing. really and interesting. Yeah. The other so cool the though. other the side effect of that, which is also quite beautiful, is when it comes to game design, um, as soon as we got out of like prototype and we could actually like build versions of this, she got to give those versions to her friends, right? She got to leave them at their house and say, This is this is a present. It's yours forever. Enjoy it. Every time I come over, I want to play, you know, but but it's yours. And she got so much delight out of that process of giving things to her friends, um, especially things that like she made. And she could say like, I made this for you. It's yours. I hope you love it. Like it was just beautiful. Just beautiful. That's awesome. And that's, that's universal, man. You know, I spent years working with people experiencing homelessness in Atlanta and the number of times where you'd sit down and, you know, you're bringing a meal to somebody or you're bringing clothing or shoes or something like that. And you, and you, you know, you're providing a need that, that they have, right. They don't, they got a lot going on, probably some mental health stuff, probably some drug addiction, whatever. And so you're providing for something that they need. You're giving to them, which feels good. It feels good. But then they want to give too. And so I can't tell you how many amazing artists on the street would draw just a quick sketch and give it to the volunteer and say, hey, you know, thank you for what you're giving, you're giving me. I want to give you this. Or they'd make a bracelet or they, you know, hey, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a joke. But they wanted to give as well, right? You know, it's better to give than receive, but that's everybody, you know? And so tapping into that for kids and helping them to understand, man, that's, that's awesome. Because I mean, it's, again, it's universal. It's everybody. It's so beautiful. I'll, I'll tell you, there's one interesting side effect of that, of designing games, uh, with her, which is I'll watch her play games with her friends and she'll say at the end of it, she'll say, okay, wasn't that fun? Okay. Now what game did you design? Let's play (laughs) because in her brain, everybody's doing this, you know, everybody, when you walk to target, yeah, there's our games with your name on the shelf, but in the next shelf over is, you know, your next friend. That's that's where their games are in the next shelf. Like that is her expectation now is this is normal. And, um, it's going to be an interesting process to break her of that. Uh, not exactly sure how to approach it yet. Well, not everybody has a day like you, man. (laughs) 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 It is what it is. Uh, but I tell you what though, kids naturally, are game designers. Like if you go to any playground in America, any after school, you know, recess type of situation, whatever, kids are out there designing games and the rules are ridiculous and everybody's cheating and it's, you know, we're, we're justifying all these different things, but they're designing games. And then somewhere along the way though, as we get adultified, a lot of us lose it, you know? And I feel like one thing that as game designers, we are, we are tapping back into is maybe something we never should have lost, right? We have to kind of go back and, and remember, oh, this is who we are naturally as humans. 
And it's so cool that you're kind of seeing that on the on the ground floor with a four-year-old, with a five-year-old. You know what I think it is? I've never thought about this before you said that. I think the difference is we lose our audience. I think when we're kids and we design games, we've got a playground full of other kids reacting to it. And we change the rules and we, you know, little Johnny is cheating. So uh, let's change the rules to make that harder. Um, but we have an audience for, you know, Risa, what is it, 30 minutes or 20 minutes. And so as we get older, I think because we lose our audience, you start to design in a vacuum and that's much less satisfying and much less rewarding. I tell you what, too, now, now you say that the game, we still play games, though, don't we? But the, the incentives change. Now it's it's a business game. It's a money game. I'm the winner because I have the more the most stuff and the best car and the nicest house and we still cheat and we still, you know, yeah. so yeah, maybe, right. maybe it's the outcome that's different. It's not joy. It's not, <laughs> it's not fun. joy. It's stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's that doesn't feel good Feeling better than all. other people. Yeah, no, right. Like we oh. just got a little existential, but I feel like there's something to, to think about as game designers is like, how do we, how do we get people to tap back into why we played games from the beginning? And it wasn't to have the biggest house on the block or have, you know, a bunch of followers on tick or, you know, Twitter or whatever it is, or X or whatever you say now. Um, like that wasn't it. We played for the love. We played for the joy and the, the in, just enjoyment yeah. of the moment. We got to make tap more joy. In. Yeah. Right. Huh. All right. That's another podcast, man. That's a whole nother oh, episode. Man, right there, I'm so. going to be thinking about this for days now. All right. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's awesome. Hey, here to serve, man. Let's, let's let that rest for a minute. Let's go, let's talk about business. Let's talk about the money side. Um, let's talk about, first of all, there's different things to think about designing or excuse me, manufacturing games for children versus kid, you know, people that are 14 plus. So what are some of the interesting things you've been learning? Maybe some of the things that you ran into that you had to go back and it cost you extra money, anything like that. Cause I know there's extra test testing, like safety testing, but what else manufacturing wise? Uh, manufacturing wise. Well, seeing as how we started this business, me and my partner, uh, Matt Inman, uh, having no idea what we were doing. Uh, we have made all kinds of exciting mistakes. Um, I'll tell you a few of the highlights for me. Uh, one, uh, the term full bleed cards. Um, we thought when you look at the back of an exploding kitten card, uh, it's a, it's red. It's got a little logo in the middle, but it's a red back card and it goes edge to edge. That's called full bleed. It means the ink went all the way to the edges. We thought that was the most beautiful thing. Let's go with that. Uh, the problem is the reason you never see full bleed cards, when you buy a deck of poker cards, bicycle, whatever they are, they're never full bleed. They always have a white border uh, around the whole thing. And the reason is because as you manipulate cards, that ink chips and it starts to chip right around the edge where the cards are coming in contact with other cards. If the ink goes right to the edge, when that edge hits another edge, that's where it chips. The problem with that in exploding kittens is if a card starts to chip in any kind of recognizable way, you can start to make predictions about what that card is without turning it over. And in a press your luck game where you need to know before you turn a card over what it is, uh, that makes the game unplayable. So we thought, okay, cool. Uh, well, we've done full bleed for two years. We've now learned that it's a huge problem. Should have known that before, but we didn't. Uh, so now we'll just go and change it. We'll just change the backs of our cards, which means none of our cards are compatible with anything anymore. You can't play with expansions. The expansions you bought, uh, which version of the expansion did you buy? Which version of your core set do you have? It became a nightmare. So after like six months of printing updated card backs, we eventually had to go back to full bleed just so that our audience wouldn't murder us uh, for the investment that they had already made in the game. Remember on Kickstarter, we had um, we shipped 700,000 copies of the game in 30 days. And so to basically go back and say, yeah, all of those are now obsolete, it, it was just a non-starter. So uh, full bleed, that was a huge manufacturing lesson for us. Uh, I'll tell you another fun one, which was on our, um, our third game. Yeah. Our third, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about it. The second game. Our second game, um, was a game called bears versus babies. And that game was unique because the box was covered in fur. Yeah. The, the first fur covered box. It was so beautiful. So incredible. Uh, and then we got it to Amazon. And uh, not only did they refuse to process any of those boxes, but they sued us. 
And the reason they sued us is because a fur-covered box on their conveyor belts, the fur falls off and plugs up their conveyor, like literally clogs mm. up the spinning gears and mechanism uh, and makes it so they have to shut down their whole factory. So um, our beautiful, lovely fur-covered box then had to be shrink-wrapped, which defeated the entire purpose. Uh, and so that was another very important lesson learned. Um, wow. yeah, what a terrible mistake. And I'll tell you one more just cause now I'm going down memory lane here. Uh, we had another game called you've got crabs and we released an expansion for that game. The game itself was uh, a card manipulation game. You had a hand of cards and you had to also pass secret signals to your teammates using your hands and feet and nose and whatever you wanted to use. Um, and so we had an expansion which made, uh, it much easier to manipulate, to, uh, collect the cards you wanted, but you had to wear these giant rubber crab claws, which made all that signal passing impossible. It made it impossible to hold your cards and it was hilarious and we thought it was the funniest thing ever. Um, however, those crab claws, the first 100,000 off the line smelled horrible uh, in a way that just didn't show up in prototyping, didn't show up in any of our early tests. But as soon as they went into mass production, there was this stench to them that was just on, you just couldn't have the thing in the house with you. So uh, we had to hire an entire warehouse to hold, uh, I don't even remember, let's call it 100,000 100, orders. So that's 200,000 crab claws. We had to wash them and hang them up on uh, laundry lines for a week uh, to try to get the smell out of those things. So that was a good lesson too. Wow. Yeah, and things that I mean, these are, unfortunately, these are things you don't know that you don't know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Now the card, the, the border around the cards. Okay. Maybe that one, but it's like so yeah. often, yeah. this is the challenge, right? When you're pushing the envelope, when you're trying to do things that other people aren't doing or haven't done before, well, one, there might be a reason, but on the other side of that, like it's frustrating because you're going to, you're going to fall into holes that no one else is, no one else can even tell you about necessarily. Right. Because you're pushing the envelope so much. And that's just kind of the, the natural state of things. When it comes to the kids' games in particular, did you notice you had to do anything because the because you have kids, right? You know, so sticky fingers and clumsy hands, and you know, durability wise, like I've played kids' games that the plastic was so cheap that like it, this is not kid ready. <laughs> like this is, you know, and so anything else like that? Um, yeah, well, durability was a huge thing. Like we used really, really high quality materials so that they could um, resist just the abuse that kids put them through. But the new thing um, that, that I've never really seen much, maybe ever in kids games was, um, let's look at, I want my teeth back really any of our games. They all start with the kid gets uh, a play mat. Right. If in I want my teeth back, you're trying to collect teeth and put them on your play mat in your monster's mouth, and the first one to fill it up wins. In the case of the best worst ice cream, you're collecting those ice cream scoops and putting them on your cone, but your cone is your play mat, starts out empty. For whatever reason, uh, kids started to care a lot about those play mats. Um, each one was a different color. That's it. Really, no difference in that, just a different color. But my daughter always had to have the pink one. Um, you know, her, her friend Harper always had to have the blue one, right? Like, and so what we realized is, okay, if kids are going to care so much about these play mats, why don't we just lean into that? And we made a place on every play mat for a kid to permanently write their name and put stickers and draw all over them and decorate them so that every time you play the game, this one is yours permanently. And that was this incredible milestone for us. Like when kids would open up the box they would dive in there and grab their play mat. Um, really simple manufacturing trick, right? There's nothing to it. But it was something that would never be important in an adult game, never be important in a party game. Um, but we had to learn, like, let's sacrifice in the manufacturing process, let's sacrifice some real estate for them to write their name, uh, for them to decorate, for them to put stickers. Uh, so that this thing can be theirs permanently and they feel that sense of pride and ownership every time they see it. Yeah, that's awesome. Also, now you have, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about kids and stickers. It is is—it is just a match that made in heaven. Like, I don't know, there's some deep thing going on, but now you can lean into that. And so you could potentially put a little sticker sheet in there with stars or trophies or whatever. And every time the ki a kid wins, they get to get a sticker 
you know, they, they were first place and they get to put it on there and now they can keep track. It's incredible. Right? Oh, I've won this game five times. Dad, you've only won it twice. I, <laughs> you know, what's going on? Sorry. Sorry for you. You know, what's wrong with you, dad? Come exactly. on. But from a manufacturing standpoint, that's, that's a penny. I mean, it's, it's so cheap. It's basically free to put a little sticker sheet in there, but then the moments that you get the experience, right. And now a kid doesn't only get to win. They get to, they get to go through the process. That's one thing about the Olympics. It's so cool. Or anytime you win a championship or something like that, like you have the trophy ceremony, right? The presentation of the medal where you get to get on stage and everyone looks at you as the winner of this thing. Like that's a cool moment. And now the kid gets to do that on a very small scale with a sticker, which they love stickers probably more than a trophy anyway. Here's something we have not solved yet. One of the things that we've seen kids do with our little sticker books in games over and over and over again is put the stickers on their faces. Don't know why, just keeps happening every damn time. So I'm trying so hard to design a game where you have to put stickers on your face. But every time I introduce that game mechanic to an adult, they're like, oh, I'm never playing this. Just not, not a chance. <laughs> so, so I am searching for that asymmetric gameplay where kids get to put stickers on their faces, but adults don't have to. Well, for adults, you could have like a separate, um, not necessarily a sheet, but anyway, a board of a face right? And then they're putting it on there and then the kid is putting it on their face. Maybe it's like a, a mirror image, you know, any something, something like that where it's <laughs> a, an alternative, right? Yeah. That'd That's be cool fun idea. to think about. Yeah. Wonder, there's another question as you get older. At what age do you stop wanting to put stickers on your faces? That's, you know, that's worth pondering. <laughs> And well, I think it's what age and at what sobriety level. Yeah, there well. you go. That's a more important question. <laughs> How late of, of the evening is it? That's right. Right. I've, I've had some friends. I mean, the later we got, the more lampshade ended up on their head. And so, you know, it just is what it is. Staying in, in the business realm, let's talk about marketing. Because with these games, I mean, you're marketing to kids, obviously, but kids don't have money. Like they're not, although some of them have more disposable income than we do combined. But uh, in general, you're marketing towards parents. Right. They're the ones that are going to be putting it in the cart, buying it at the cash register, bringing it home, opening the shrink, right? Open, you know, learning the rule, but like you're marketing to parents as much as kids. And so how do you, how do you do that effectively? There's a lot of ways. And we certainly have not perfected this. I don't, I don't, I don't really have any company to point out to say, oh, we just got to do what they're doing because they've got it figured out because it just doesn't seem to exist. But we are definitely marketing to parents. We're trying to say, look, mom, dad, uncle, aunt, you know, or going to a birthday, buying a gift for a kid. This is going to make you the cool uncle. This is going to make you the most popular aunt ever, right? Like that kind of message uh, is one that we're leaning heavily into. For parents, we're trying to say like, look, your kid is going to have fun. And I promise you secretly, they're going to learn something too. And you should feel good about game time. You should feel excited uh, to put this thing in front of your kids because they're going to have fun and they're going to get, they're going to become a better person. Um, and the other message we're pushing forward is like games for kids don't have to suck. Hmm. And that simple message, I think resonates with a lot of people, a lot of grownups uh, who have tried kids games and are forced to play them uh, know that it's a special kind of torture. And if it didn't, if there was a better way, we think uh, that would that would make your life and your kid's life a lot better. And here's the solution to that. So those are the marketing messages we're putting out there. In the games themselves, we're doing things like we separate the instructions into two sections, a section uh, for the adults to read when the kids are not in the room. We're like, listen, mom, dad, grown up, you're going to have Take 10 minutes, read these to yourself. They're really easy, but your poor kid, don't, don't read this out loud to them. They don't care. At the end of the instructions, we have another section. It's two paragraphs long and there's pictures and make funny sounds. That's the part you read out loud to your kid. And it's going to explain the game to them, but it's going to be missing a whole bunch of details that you are then going to verbally explain as you go through the game the first time. And that became really important too. Um, just trying to figure out like, this is a game for two different audiences. They're going to have two different experiences and we have to accommodate both of them for this to be successful. I like that. I like the idea of the parent becoming the tutorial. Like you become the guide, kind of like a video game. That's one thing video games have better than board games. And just, it's so hard. The tutorial you learn while you play, right? You, you run, you're doing the actions, you're shooting, you're jumping, all that kind of stuff. As you, as you do it, you're kind of giving your, your parent player, the opportunity to do that, to be the one that says, okay, now that we're at this part of the game, here's how this works. 
as we're doing it versus, all right, let me front load all these, <laughs> all these rules and you're going to forget 90% of them anyway. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I also like the idea of a game that's a perfect gift, you know, like you, you get, it just makes sense, you know, from a price point and all that. I mean, that's what you know, grownups walk into retail with that exact problem. Nobody, nobody, I don't think many people do their homework in advance. What kids game should I buy? They walk into the store, they look at the shelf and they're like, I'm overwhelmed, but I got to choose something. Uh, this one. And a lot of times it's Candyland or Monopoly because that's all they know. Oh, that's right. That's they just right. default to it because that's what they grew up that's with. Right. And that's kind of what we're fighting against. And that's, let me tell you, you buy Candyland and you give it to a kid, you are hurting those parents. That is a mean thing to do to the adults <laughs> in the house. So uh, so I, I, we're trying very hard at retail on the store shelf to craft a message and just say like, it doesn't have to be that way. Here is a better solution. Give this a try instead. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One thing I've seen some companies do, not with kids though, just a different thought, is on the back of the box, they'll kind of tell you the skills you need to understand or the things that you're going to deal with during the game, right? Whether it's the mechanism or whatever. One thing I, I maybe, that maybe could work with kids games, on the back of the box, it says, you know, builds problem solving, helps with color matching, um, helps with... Uh, physical activity, like whatever it is, yeah. like whatever the skills Very, are. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you put those on the back we of the do box? That. We do exactly that. Yeah. Three or four bullets. Um, and they're the things we learned in testing. Um, we work really closely with a lot of very talented testers, uh, talented teachers, ta uh, parents who have just got a ton of experience working with kids. And we say like, look, here are the things we think you, you, you and your kid are going to get out of this and then go try the game. And then they come back and they say, well, these three, definitely. These two, not so much. But here's three more that you missed that were emergent and amazing. And we've worked over months to refine those lists, narrow them all down to just three or four bullets, but say like, you're going to see this happen. You're going to see your kids' dexterity improve. You're going to see your kids, uh, uh, the logical side of their brains start to sharpen. We promise you're going to see this. Uh, and it's, it's going to be pretty magical when it happens. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, this has been excellent. Anything else maybe that we didn't talk about or anything else you want to bring up, either designing or manufacture anything else you want to leave, kind of leave listeners with? The last thing for me is just like, you know, you, you, you opened with um, how, how weird it has been for someone like me to get into this industry knowing nothing about it. And it's so true. And it's, it's been the weirdest journey. But um, I am very proud to say we've got our, our little company now. We've got 85 people working there. We've sold more than 25 million games. And uh, we're launching this year, we're launching 13 new games. And uh, it has just been the weirdest journey ever. It's the best job I have ever had. And uh, I'm just so, I feel so lucky to have stumbled into this thing because I, I get to literally put joy in boxes and then give those boxes to people. It's the best thing ever. That's awesome, dude. Well, I'm so glad you, you jumped in way back when and had an idea for a little card game that literally exploded. And so, man, that's, that's so, it's so cool. And I'm just excited for what's next, right? I, I, like I said, I've got a bunch of your games already on my shelf in there. My kids love to play them. They play them without me. You know, they'll get Amazing. them out and play them Perfect. themselves. Perfect. And um, I, need to, I, I need to get these new ones and try them with my younger kids. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So you said people can find them in target anywhere else people can, can find these games. Oh, there's it's, you know, it's getting to the point where they're hard to find places where they're not Uh target. Good problem to have Walmart, <laughs> Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indigo, you name it. Um, it's really, we have uh, our problem is producing enough games, not finding distributors. So uh, yeah, it's an incredible problem. It is man. Yeah. The kind of problems you, you, you want to have. Thank right you. Yes, very much so. Awesome. Well, Elon, this has been excellent. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Thanks for uh, chatting with me.